Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 42 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, tonight, Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. How is everyone tonight? We're doing good. Uh, so our guests tonight are really kind of no strangers to creating industry-changing technologies and also no strangers to disrupting long-term IT thinking. So tonight's show is going to be a little bit different. Um, we have some uh, date challenges here. So uh, our guests tonight are Simon Crosby, founder and CTO of Bromium. Simon, how are you doing tonight? Oh, great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. And Tal Klein, uh, Director of Janitorial Services and All Good Things <laughs> Engineering over at Bromium. Tal, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Good to have you. Good to be back. So, um, so we were talking to uh, to Tal and Simon before the show, and we're actually recording this show uh, about a week in advance of when it's coming out the door, but it will be uh, going out after they, they make some interesting announcements next week. So we're going to kind of talk through what they're doing, but we're also going to kind of try and understand from the beginning of what they're doing. So, um, guys, there's been a lot of speculation about what Bromium's announcing. You know, we've kind of gotten some tidbits. Um, I will tell you this much. The people that we've talked to that are under NDA with you guys have been incredibly tight-lipped. So you've got uh, good lawyers or good, uh, good friends that are helping you out. But, um, you know, we've gotten a healthy dose of mythology. We've gotten some blogs from Simon. So w- what's Bromium doing? What kind of problems are you guys trying to solve? Cal, have a go at it, my friend. You've been at it long enough. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think that the, the basic problem that we're trying to solve is uh, one that's been vexing IT for a long time. And, and there's been a lot of uh, these sort of, uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of different types of attempts to solve this very, very specific problem, which is what do we do about the fact that I, as an end user, okay, have my personal, uh, let's say, personal cloud, my my stuff, my my home stuff, my personal stuff, my Facebook, my my Twitter account, my personal documents, my bank account, all intermingling with my work stuff. And you know, whether you call it the consumerization of IT, whether you call it mobility, whether you call it work shifting, it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, IT is trying to figure out uh, how do I ensure that. They uh, that how do they ensure that I am productive and enabled to do my job while protecting the sensitive corporate data and the corporate infrastructure such that that you know my my activities don't disrupt the activities of others in, in the workforce and you know it's it's that is you know that's a really interesting uh, uh, problem that's been tried to be solved by multiple solutions you know VDI being uh, one of them and others are like uh, patching and and various endpoint management solutions or or DLP, but all of them essentially get in the way of the end user. I mean, all almost any solution that IT has ever thrown at me as as a mechanism of trying to protect me has also hindered me, and as as a result, has either led me to go around them or uh, forced me to use uh, commercially available products because the ones provided to me by IT were were insufficient. So how do we keep employees uh, productive while ensuring that data, corporate data is secure and corporate infrastructure is protected? That is the question. Okay. So, so Tal, and now when you're talking about 
these devices now, which devices specifically are we talking? Tablets? We talking phones? We talk? We're yeah. talking laptops? All of the above? Uh, help well, us out a little bit with that. Well, Web Chromium is starting on x86 clients, but the technology also applies to others. But it's x86 for now, so just think um, think Windows because um, that's what the enterprise cares about. But Macs um, within reach. Um, future mobile devices are interesting. Anything we do there would be based on the availability of hardware virtualization capabilities for those devices. It sounds like uh, you know potentially taking advantage, and I think maybe there was some hints of this in some of the blogs, taking advantage of, of x86 hardware. Would that be, say, Intel-specific uh, hardware? Is it AMD x86 hardware? Is there any... Yeah, any sp- so- yeah, so the the key thing in the enterprise AMD is not relevant in the enterprise client. Okay. Uh, and and so you know, but broadly, there are some unique features Intel has which are great in the vPro feature set, but minimally we require VT, of which AMD has you know equivalent functionality. No, but the, the fundamental goal here is to use VT in a very different way than you uh, than you currently understand. Now I'm I'm going to ask a little bit of a, an ignorant technical question because I know VT is you know incredibly prevalent on the server side hardware. Is it just as prevalent on say within the last year or two modern endpoint type of hardware yeah. as well? Yeah, I mean if you bought a Sandy Bridge device, uh, you got uh, basically any any laptop that you bought in the last I think two years. Sign probably has it on it. Yep, two years. Okay, so this is this is going to be very much a mainstream, um, you know, something people can do today. This isn't uh, only for the top one or two percent of people that. Have, no. Okay. No, 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 not at all. But, but I think it's fair to say that the technology is as deep as that category of clients are in the enterprise. Correct. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like the early days of um, of ZenSource, and I guess relatively for VMware when. You know, hardware virtualization was just coming out, and the most important thing was to attach to the new devices rather than try and deal with the legacy. Sure. Okay. okay. And 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 how are you? You're saying you're using VT differently. So tell us a little bit about how you're using VT differently than so, than your standard virtualization today. Yeah. So let's let's not dive into technology just yet because it's important to understand the problem. The problem is, I'm I'm going to make a bold assertion here. All of the problems related to desktop transformation, mobility, personal use of enterprise devices, and all of the stuff we talk about all the time is really due to one challenge, and that is whether or not you can trust the device. Um, I'm going to assert for the moment that you can trust the user, but if you can't, that's okay. We're going to deal with that one too. But that is the fundamental problem. If the device has ever gone into Starbucks, can you ever trust it again? Today's answer should be no. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I think it's really important to understand what the problem is there. The problem is a human problem. Okay. Let me explain it to you. You or I, or probably Tal, actually, he's the worst, <laughs> will click on the attachment. Okay. So that's a human problem because we're all gullible. Okay. Yeah. The next thing is somebody wrote the code and there will always be another zero day. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, by the way, why are people doing VDI? Yeah, a whole bunch of reasons. There are a couple of valid use cases for offshore workers and everything else, but most of them are just trying to say, I need something that keeps me compliant. It helps kind of with the 
lifecycle management of the images, it's a little bit better or whatever it happens to be. But let me tell you, every attack that I can do on a physical desktop, I can do on a VDI desktop. And by the way, if I succeed, I'm now in your data center. Yep. Okay. So virtualizing desktops doesn't help. The security guys, you know, the problem with the modern attack, the modern attacks is that they're polymorphic. And so, you know, in general, you won't have the signatures. Um, then you have challenges related to patch. Why do you patch? Why do you patch clients? Because they're vulnerable. You know, why do we have DLP? Because we don't want stuff to escape. So all of this stuff is trying to solve the same problem in different ways. And it's basically that you cannot trust the device that is the operating system on the device and its applications to respect the boundary between the enterprise and my personal activities. Especially your personal activities. Right. So let's be very clear. You've seen things like, you know, if you look at view or view local mode or even Zen client, you've got these things where I have a corporate VM and a personal VM. Now, that just doesn't solve the problem at all. No because way. because the attack, I will send the attack to your corporate email account. Okay? That's right. why it doesn't help. Okay. And so you realize that all of this notion of VMs is nothing. I mean, VMs have got nothing to do with any of this. A VM is a lousy construct for solving this problem. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, more with you. I've had a fairly violent reaction before to VMware's notion that I'm going to have a corporate VM and a personal VM on my cell phone. It's right. the wrong abstraction. What do I want, user? Yeah, it's um, actually funny you mentioned that because we had we actually had Brian Katz on on last um, <laughs> podcast and and we we actually talked about that exact technology uh, very for a very long time and we all kind of came to that exact same conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite my, my favorite Brian Katz uh, description of it is that it's like communism. It reads really good on paper but doesn't execute very well. <laughs> well, and I, yeah. and, I, and I think I think what I think what Simon's kind of getting at, and it probably becomes more of a problem as as we become. So we, we have these very short attention spans. We've got 50 right, yeah. things coming to us at the same time. And, you know, it's hard enough to say, like, I'm not going to click on that what looks like a, a valid URL or a valid whatever because I'm just trying to do things, let alone going, wait, which which mode am I in? Am I in end user mode? Am I in corporate right. mode? Am I in which, yeah, which I like? desktop am I in? Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, where's that file that I'm – by the way, if, can I only work on that file in one desktop? Because, you know, if I've got Word on my, on my local desktop – why don't I just bring that file over? Why should I only interact with it in this in this other desktop yeah, environment? And so, and so we require users to understand too much of the stuff that IT needs to try and police these boundaries. Users just want to be productive and, and get their stuff done. And so that's the problem. So it has nothing at all to do with virtual machines. That's fundamental to the whole thing. However, there's some really cool technology down on the CPU that we can use to solve the problem. So let let's so let me let me before we get back you know kind of into the technology and so forth. So as you guys are talking to the businesses that that you're targeting, um, people that that kind of are understanding this problem, who are you talking to? Are you talking yeah. to desktop people? Are you talking to security people? Are you like who's who's the conversation initially with that that understands the problem first? So there are two two fundamental categories. First of all, there is no large enterprise in the U.S that has not been compromised. Right. Okay. And they're being hammered by, you know, financially motivated attackers, but also by nation-state attacks. And mm-hmm. so anybody anybody who's regulated um, or public sector is now paranoid about this, and they're taking it very seriously. 
and they know that the tools that they have from a security perspective are, are limited in terms of what they can do. So that that's one category. Then broadly, I mean, maybe this is just because of my background and, and TALS, is you know, we've come at this from desktop virtualization path. The people we talk to who are dealing with the challenges of, of consumerization or mobility or whatever, those are desktop people, and they get it in a heartbeat. Okay. So there are two categories of people. By the way, we're not talking about a product that you can buy. We're talking about a technology for solving a problem. We'll have a product, um, you know, later in the year, but we won't GN until it's awesome. So you guys talked about it, this being kind of, you know, initially targeted at uh, Windows endpoints, because obviously that's probably the most prevalent thing in, in corporate enterprises yes. and so forth. Um, you know, there's been a lot of people, a lot of companies that have tried to, you know, solve technology, malware, antivirus kinds of things, whether it's yes. Microsoft themselves or Symantec. What's the, what's the magic here that, that yeah. hasn't been done? Or what's, what's the, the thinking thought process that hasn't been thought about? Well, I think the key thing that they've been trying to do is try and find bad guys better. And, and I think the obvious counter to that is simply to go say, guys, go back to Computer Science 101. There was this thing called the halting problem. If you reinterpret it, it will tell you that it is impossible to solve that problem. You cannot detect bad guys. There's that always going to be zero days. <laughs> right. Well, You're never going to find them all. There are always going to be zero days, but more than that, the fundamental problem there is that if you rely on detection in order to block, you'd end up building a detector that is highly sensitized, and typically then you end up with shared loads of false alarms. And the problem with false alarms are that they annoy administrators and users because this, you know, and, and eventually we train people to be desensitized. Okay? And the reason you've got to do this is you can't if if your if your rule is detection in order to block, you've got to detect everything. Otherwise it's really bad news. Right. Okay. And yep. so you end up with this it's a bit like Windows UAC. Have you ever done anything other than click OK? You know, no. that's all you've exactly. So you know the problem there is that the user is already trained to do the wrong thing and the administrator too. And so the the problem with detect detect to block, I actually now I'm trying to call it, coin another term for it. It's compromise first detection, because now the only way that they can actually detect an attack is to look for something where they know that the guy is doing something bad. But by then you've already compromised the system, and at the very least you've got to reimage the whole system and. Yeah, it's, it's analogous to you know it's, it's analogous to what you know what we, we call security theater with the TSA and that we're only searching for threats that have happened before. Yeah, yes. so you're looking for another so, shoe. You're looking for another shoe bomber or another. Right. Yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. That it's, it's and, very. And, 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 and in addition to that, you're 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 scanning the people coming through for against known threats. Exactly. And and you're building a bigger wall around the outside it's, of it. It's a, it's yes. security theater. That's what it is. And so so let's so there were two things you pointed out. So you will click on the attachment, and there'll be another bug, and so the bad guys will get in. So what's what rational IT department says? Oh dear, now I need to go into siege mentality. I'm going to build this big wall around the organization. The fundamental thing to realize there is that humans need to go out in order to be productive. Yep. Since time immemorial, we've been out there doing hunting and gathering, or we go out to a business meeting, and the moment you are out, 
And I'm not saying physically outside. I'm saying the moment you browse the public web, the moment you do anything that is not given to you by IT, you are in a domain of unfathomable trust. I can't say it's good. I can't say it's bad. By the way, the vast majority of it is is fine. So I can't say don't do it. Okay? I have to do it for you. And that's where the attack will come from. So this is a key thing is that every single day we require our users to go into these areas where we cannot say anything about trustworthiness. And we know that we cannot protect them when they're there. So it, it sounds like we're going down the road of sort of like what uh, what mothers have these days. They don't they, they think kids are going to get sick with everything, so they're always carrying around Purell and kind of squirting them down all the time. And but, but yeah. I, I get where you're going. It's it's um, you know out out in the big bad world is where people make money. It's where they conduct business. It's where they do yeah. research. You can't stop that. Um, but at the same time, there are plenty of people Actually, who know how to get uh, you know bad things on your machines, which spread and, and do other things. Yeah. That's right. So I'd say the Purell approach is essentially the same as trying to build a wall. That is, you're trying to kill everything. You have no idea whether it's there or not. Okay. And so, you know, that's not what we're doing at Bromium at all. So it sounds like somewhere between the the device itself, so you you talked about sort of can you trust the device. Um, You've hinted around it. There's some technology down at the CPU level um, that people haven't necessarily taken advantage of in the past that... Um, maybe is 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 better off, and to a certain oh, extent, we're dealing yeah. with a with a sort of an unfixable OS like Windows or a kind well, of a, okay. By the way, I think it's, it's very important to say that all code will be like this because okay. humans write bad code. Okay. okay, and and so you know nothing's gonna nothing's gonna change there. It's got nothing to do with Microsoft who are actually doing a good job with the OS now, and you know there are apps that have got vulnerabilities and everything. Okay. So, by the way, the technology is widely used. It's just used for traditional virtualization, right? So I've said minimally we need VT. And so VT is used by every hypervisor on the planet. The, it's just that the use case is not what virtualization is about. See, virtualization is something I kind of think emerged from Moore's Law, which is that you know, Moore's Law delivered us so much CPU, more CPU than one workload could consume, and so we had more than one. And okay. that's kind of natural, right? Yep. So that's the consolidation argument. Then you get into higher availability and agility and all those other cool things. But there's something very important that we learned from the um, from the virtualization journey, and I and I think it's it's worth looking at. If you think about the data center work practice before VMware, say, right? You know, there were people who installed software on machines, people who racked and stacked servers and all that stuff. And now they're all cool, hip, green, power-sensitive, agile, dynamic, and highly available, and therefore strategic. And so virtualization transformed the work practice and made the thing much more valuable. Okay? Yeah. Now, think about the client in general. What have you got? You've got a bunch of manual work practices. So you've got people who push patches, okay, with, you know, whatever, 90% chance you hit a machine, 10% it's off off net or closed or whatever. Right. You know, then you've got people who wait for alarms from security consoles and then go and reinstall Windows and apps. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. these are not strategic activities for IT. These are horrible jobs which have got no end and they don't move the organization forward. Whereas at least you can say that, you know, my problem, the cloud is moving the organization forward to a more agile and dynamic future, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's the concept of, 
you know, depending on the studies, you always see the whole, I don't know, anywhere between 60 to 80% of typical IT is just keeping the lights on and, and dealing exactly. with problems and never doing anything new. Yeah, but, you know, we have a large customer in beta with us, and they're heading towards 100,000 users, but they spend a million and a half dollars a year just on remediating PCs that have become infected. Okay, this is nuts, okay? It's a lot of money. And so, you know, and, and it's not strategic. That is ultimately, but I, but I want to make a very important point here, I think, which is that if IT puts the walls up, it is blocking the productivity of the enterprise. Well, it's, it's, like, also, it's also putting blinders on because when IT pulls the walls up, right, users find a way around the wall without, IT, IT, without IT's visibility. You right. Know? Yeah. The, so, the the wall effectively becomes more of a hurdle for them right. to jump over, and the higher you build it, the the bigger the hurdle. Right. Yes. Good. So 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 the goal is to is to essentially come up with stuff that empowers users, okay, right. and allows IT to empower users without losing compliance and without suffering from security challenges, okay, which. You know, is is a big deal. That is, well, I think everything we've set up tonight in this conversation is that it's impossible. It, it it sounds a little bit like what you hear from your HR department when they roll out the the latest um, uh, health insurance plans, where they go, well, you know, you can pay this much, which is a cost they don't really want to deal with because you eat too many donuts and you don't exercise enough, and so you know, there's a certain amount of kind of fat that they're paying for. Um, because people aren't healthy, or they roll out these programs that have a potentially lower cost, but they're trying to make you ultimately uh, healthier behaviors, um, you know, act more appropriately. Which their take is, if you start doing that, you're gonna there's a cost yeah. savings, there's a, there's a life savings for you and a cost savings for them, and ultimately things are better. It sounds like we're sort of going down that path a little bit. Well, we aren't actually. So oh, go. <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting, but you know. Um, you know, I love Windows and I love everything Microsoft's doing there. But the Microsoft security Twitter stream is nonsense. Let's be clear what goes on there. Every day there's all these things about how to train users to spot malware. You know, this is not the way forward, okay? That is, there is no path whereby you end up with better behaviors that solve this problem. Gotcha. Because the bad guys will always outrun you. By the way, they have the world's biggest cloud. Okay, so, you know, this is not something about training users. This is technology, and the goal is to absolutely profoundly change the trustworthiness of the system. Okay? That is, if the system itself were trustworthy, if it were robust to my mistakes when I click on the bad URL or invite the bad guys in, then we would actually have a way forward here. Because then if the device went to Starbucks and came out again, you still wouldn't worry about it, right? Okay. But as it is today, if I ever take my device into Starbucks and connect on their network, you ought never to let it on the network again. Especially if you went through their proxy. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And so one of the things you've, you know, the infrastructure lies to us all the time and a whole bunch of things go on, right? The infrastructure in your hotel room, right? You say, HTTPS, go to my secure website. Dot com, and the little hotel router says, "Oh, that's me." Okay, and in general, it's trying to sell you something. Right. But if you go to some countries, it's not; it's trying to do worse. Gotcha. 
Okay. And so, you know, the question is how you can make, you know, every device a bastion of trust. That's a hard problem, by the way. It's a, it's a grand problem. It's a totally cool grand problem. You know, not only kind of doing it up front, assuming you, you know, take your 100,000 user uh, trial customer, you know, not only getting them all on there initially, but just, just getting it onto them, I would assume, is a enormous problem, but a, a you know, fantastic challenge to take on. So Yeah. And by the way, so let's be very clear. Solving a, a problem like that, if you go and do what Google has done with Chrome, you will fail too. That is, if you write millions of lines of code to solve the problem, you will fail because more code is more zero days. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yep. so... The more code you write, the, be- the, the bigger the attack vector, if you will, or attack surface. That's right. And on your desktop today with all your apps and everything, you're looking towards somewhere towards 100 million lines of code. Okay, great. That's a lot of vulnerabilities. And writing more code isn't going to help. I mean, it may help. It just obfuscates things for a bit, but ultimately, it doesn't solve the problem. Okay, so it's not. It's, this is not. This is something where solving the problem has to be done with as few lines of code as possible. Indeed, you ought to be throwing lines of code out every day. Brian's so, stuck. Well, no, no. So I'm, I, I, he's you know, thinking. It's, it's, he's, it's, a, it's a, it feels like we're, it's a little bit of a like. like well, you said, it's a little bit of the peeling thing the is, onion back. Let me let me tell you one more thing that that'll really throw you back, right? So the, the only way to actually accomplish this, right, is also to ensure that you don't put the end user in the decision making process, right? And you essentially the end user ha- the the experience has to be utterly seamless to the end user, such that they don't uh, rebel against the technology that's protecting them. Right, and that's that's why UAC everyone always clicks OK, right, for that exact reason, right? Right. Does does UAC actually serve a purpose other than annoy, making you annoyed at Windows? Right. Exactly. <laughs> very very true. Right. So so okay. So now we should start to hint more at what we're doing. In fact, we should tell you what we're doing. I think. Okay. Um. Okay. So forget everything you know about virtualization. Yep. Okay. That is, we're not interested in virtual machines. It's the wrong abstraction. Um. For th- and for the same reason, Chrome is the wrong abstraction. Okay. But there is a property that comes courtesy of hardware virtualization. Think now of traditional VMs. Whenever a VM does I.O., what happens? VT stops the virtual machine and says, hey, hypervisor, go figure this out. That's what happens. So every vendor puts drivers into the guest, and then that's what happens whenever they do I.O. So what you get there is a hardware isolation capability. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you completely forgot about virtual machines and took that and in a magic hypervisor, which we call a microvisor, by the way, on the fly, instantly, dynamically, completely unseen by the user and with a native performance and native user experience, hardware isolate vulnerable tasks running in the operating system. Uh, so you're effectively almost like a, like a shim to to sit there and um, process the requests, but well, also you don't you're doing it in a way that that doesn't add overhead. Right. So what we are then? So we're a hypervisor technically. That is, we use VT, but we use it for a specific purpose. That is, what, so whenever 
whenever the user is doing something like you browse to Facebook or whatever, every time you click on a URL, invisibly behind the scenes, I'm going to grab that task and put it into a tiny hardware isolated uh, micro VM, okay? Which is essentially what I'm going to do with that thing is build, use VT to build a hardware based wall around what you do in that task, okay? That is any access to any resource, any system resource is going to require the hardware to stop you. Okay, so there will be a VM exit, at which point the microvisor is in charge of the machine, can evaluate the request, and you know decide what to do about it. And so let's talk about what the resources are that you would care about. So anytime a micro VM wants to read or write file, wants to talk on a network, wants to do anything copy and paste, wants to interact with you as the keyboard to deal with any devices or the registry, those are explicitly going to cause the hardware to stop you, at which point the microvisor is in control. It has a bunch of parameters from the micro VM, and it can figure out what to do. Okay? okay. So yep, we, I'm with you. We use VT to protect uh, the privilege change, which is that whenever a, whenever a task in a micro VM is requesting access to what we could consider a privileged resource, we're going to force the code to be stopped using hardware, and then we get we get to be in control at that point running our known good code. Yep, and that's fundamentally different from, and I apologize, this is going back away, so if I'm incorrect, please correct me, but like you mentioned Google Chrome, if I remember correctly, what Google Chrome did is, you know, it, Anytime there was uh, different tabs in the browsers, those were effectively each individual, but it was mainly to isolate them to keep them from crashing each other as opposed well, to necessarily add a security aspect. Is that correct? Mostly, yes, that's true. And But okay. then what, what Chrome does is that it builds an isolation layer between each process. So each process mm-hmm. is one domain that you're visiting. Yep. And then it builds an isolation layer between the, that process and the OS. But they've got a hook every single system call, every library call, and anything you could ever do to get from a process into the kernel, which is a vast interface. It's huge. They've been at it for 14 years, okay? Yep. And they're still yep. not done. They're still not done. And so, you know, what we've got here is something far simpler. The interface between a micro VM and the operating system in order to get hold of any of those services I mentioned is under 10,000 lines of code. Now, now you made you made an interesting statement of, of, of couple, about, you know, about a minute or so ago. You said our known good code. W- what does that mean? Our known who's who's uh, you've identified something that's going to go into a privileged area. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's good. And then you said it interacts with our known good code. What does that mean? Yes. Oh, okay. So so technically, what Chromium is this microvisor is it is a it's a late load hypervisor. And uh, late load, meaning it, it shows you deploy it as an MSI, but it reaches down and grabs hardware and does some magic. Um, it can establish a dynamic root of trust and check that it is in its own intended state. But it's known good in the sense that the code that we have provided never executes in, a, in an underprivileged context. So let's be clear, when you browse to Facebook or somewhere, none of our code is ever, we're never going to trust any code that was ever involved in that. 
And none of our code on the high side, that is the, the microvisor, is never going to be executed in the same context as that task. And that's one of the key rules here, which is this absolute mandate of separation. Um, when you want to get hold of something which demands a privilege escalation, we are going to mandate that it is not your code that is running at the moment when we evaluate the request. It is our code, it is our microvisor, which know to be in a good state and uh, and to be small and checkable and a whole bunch of things and um, and that's that is guaranteed when we get a request for any resource the task that issued the request is now paused by hardware and cannot do anything to us it is not running now let me ask you this how do you um what is the architecture behind the updates to that microvisor or policy updates? Or you, I kind of, you know, I always think of go back to your antivirus signatures yes. or something like that. So, so how do you know when things are updated and how does that architecture work? Good. So the 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 exercise, which is the bromium experiment, is all about peeling back this notion of trust as far as we can, um, whilst maintaining the user's. Uh, experience that is we want an unchanged user experience and we want an unchanged management experience that is we want the IT folks to be able to use tools that they have today so if you want to deploy us using SCCM great good for you if you want to write policies in your favorite policy thing on me Bob could be AD could be you know um, a McAfee um, EPO great. go right ahead that is we do not have a console we do not demand any new tools or skill sets on the part of IT people. We just delivered you a PC that is much more robust. Okay, so now, then it just works. By the yep. way, an interesting we haven't just finished describing the system yet. We describe these things called microvms, but not really how the isolation happens. There's a bunch to go. Yes, yeah, so that's actually where I was gonna go next, so go ahead. <laughs> okay. The key thing is that a microvm is a, I think it's a nearly perfect implementation of the principle of least privilege. Okay, now the operating systems that we use today, you know, they claim to be are built on the idea of least privilege, which is that, you know, you only get what you're supposed to get given your privilege level. You know, let me ask you this when you browse to Facebook, what files do you need in your file system? So, I guess this is actually brings up maybe another question. I'll throw back at you before I answer that. Is so when you, you're you're talking about enacting this micro VM, how is that micro VM triggered? Is your product like a plug into existing browsers, or is it a new browser with the micro no, no, VM no, no. in it? Or tell it's me a little nice. bit about that. Yeah. yeah, so we're definitely not in the browser business. That's right, exactly, and that's where I was trying to, you know, we're talking yeah, about going so, to Facebook, so, right? And, and so I, I want to make sure everyone's gonna, clear of wh- how the micro VM gets enacted and, and yeah, where yeah. in that process it works. It's, it's right? a general purpose. It's a very general purpose mechanism. Uh, that is, there are APIs to trigger the creation of micro VM around a task. Um, in general, depending on the operating system that you're working on, there are some hooks that you need to have there. So, for example. You know, uh, you could think of us as a default MIME type handler for all those scary MIME types. Okay? There are a bunch of ways that you can hook into the process of being there when the user initiates a particular thing. Right? So, yep. there are, and some of that is application like stuff, some of it is OS stuff, but there are standard ways of getting in on every system. And that's where we do it. 
So, you know, micro VMs then get created at the point at which the user initiates some task. We then, you know, isolate the the execution of the task in some new VMCS uh, context on VT, and now this thing is off and, and executing. The, the challenge now is, so I just want to go back to this principle of least privilege. I asked you, and I'll, I'm going to save you from having to answer, I asked you um, how many files you need in your file system to go to Facebook. The answer is one. You need the cookie for Facebook. If you open a PDF file, how many files do you need in your file system? You need one. You need the PDF document I told you to open. That's it. Okay? So, in the context of the user initiating a task, the business of creating a microVM is the business of implementing the principle of least privilege so that the data that it needs is there, but only that, and only the networks that it needs access to and only the devices that it needs access to. Okay? So if you're a PDF document and you're being rendered, you know, don't even bother trying to talk on the internet. Okay? Because it's just not there. Because PDF documents don't get to talk to the internet. Right? If you build a system based on the principle of least privilege, essentially what you're doing is you're creating this very, very narrow construct in which in an untrustworthy domain, at least, say a PDF document or you're browsing to Facebook, you know, my files are just not visible. You get your cookie and you can go play around with my cookie, okay? But that's it, right? So the key thing is that in a microVM, there is an extraordinary narrowing of execution and access privileges that goes on. And then there's, there's one other thing, but I'll let you react to this first. You good? Yeah. No, that yes. Makes, that make that makes sense. And and if some, I, I'm 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 sort of maybe reading ahead. If for some reason you go to Facebook, uh, you know, it, it it grabs your cookie and somehow that gets compromised for whatever reason. It gets corrupt. It gets yeah. It gets compromised. That I'm I'm guessing the micro VM then has a, a way of basically isolating it just to that one. Uh, machine, and at some point it says it's been long lived. Let's not use the word machine because because I think that it's, you, you, it's a task. Okay. Yeah, using, task. using the word using the word machine right f- will force your brain to try to make this analogous to uh, you know the sort of first generation virtualization products we talked about before, which is like this concept of abstracting operating system uh, from a piece of hardware. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I, would, um, I was thinking more just the physical whole machine itself. Like it's 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 you know I have the virus, but Aaron doesn't have the virus kind of thing. But I, I get where you're going. Okay. So it's a yeah. process. Okay. Yeah. So so, right. so but you're right. absolutely on the right track. That is. So let's describe the execution mode. So first of all, I've narrowed the context. Right. So the let's go back to where we started this. The bad guy will get in. Right. Right. Okay. So the bad guy is in the container. The bad guy is now going to compromise the task in some way. First of all, none of the state to which he should not have access is there. If you're browsing the untrustworthy web, you get a cookie, nothing else. You only ever get to talk to the public untrusted internet. You never get to send a packet into my intranet. And you definitely never get to talk to any of my trusted SaaS sites. All my cloud. Okay? You just don't get to do it. Second, I'm now going to do something else, which is using VT hardware support very in a very special way which is if you try to compromise windows i will let you magically compromise it in a copy on write way so you stomp on some windows kernel page i'm fine with that i'll just let you stomp on a little instantly created 
copy of just that page. So the way I want you to think about a micro VM is imagine you're standing behind a plate glass window looking at windows and all, you know, the kernel and all the libraries and stuff. And I've given you a whiteboard marker in your hand. You are in the micro VM. You can scribble all over that stuff. All I've got to remember is the stuff you scribbled. But yeah, you this, goes, this goes back to, so, so Brian and I, we both have a, a similar storage background. And this goes back to the concept of you're, you're effectively creating a snapshot, if you will, and it's a disposable copy of, of anything it uses at that point, correct? Correct. Correct. And, and the same would happen for anything which is persistent in the file system. And I have a persistence policy which allows me to decide what I persist. So if you're persisting some new file, you download a file from the internet, that's fine by me. I'm just going to persist securely in metadata associated with the file, the fact that I don't trust it. I'm going to force anything that ever touches it to be only doing that from a microwave. Okay? If you want to yep. go and update some Windows golden image file, good luck with that. I'll do it copy on write, and the moment the user closes the window or the browser tab or whatever it is, the application, I'm just throwing the whole thing overboard. Yep, the whole snapshot goes away at that point. It's not a, it's not a snapshot because, because it's stateful. Yeah. Yes, First, exactly. It's not a snapshot. Well, it's. I know you keep trying to make this analogy with a machine, with a machine, because it isn't. But, but essentially, what what I'm going to throw away is any of any computational state that you have, and anything that you did which copy on write. I'm just throwing out. Okay, and so naturally, the system's just going to throw away malware and contamination every time you close a window or whatever. We just don't care. So, Brian, is either of you guys familiar? I mean, are you, either of you guys were you guys ever Unix guys? You understand the concept of fork? Yes. Yep. So, so think of this as a very, very well. It's easier to think of this as fork than it is to think about it as virtualization, right? Yep. Do you understand? Because every time, every time you start a new task, what happens is you get the state. Every, every you, the the operating system is the same. You're still running under Windows. Just all the new stuff that the the pro, that the task needs in order to execute is um, is brought over on a on a uh, copy on write basis. That is, um, you know, I start I start my life as a task. I now need to do a DNS lookup. Okay, I'm going to give you a network. <laughs> okay, I now need to write a cookie. You know, I need and, and I need to write a, a cookie. Okay, I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to give you some disk space. Right, right. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of. I mean, it feels like it's a little bit analogous to that thing that happens with with uh, when somebody's little kid comes running up to you and they want to start swinging and they want to, they think they're hitting you and you kind of just extend your arm far enough out that they can't yeah, hit you, but like they're that. just swinging and swinging uh, and swinging. They don't know any different. And I, you're just kind of like you're not hurting me. I'm just keeping you at arm's length, and um, yeah. you can punch yourself right. out as long as you want. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. And so what you end up with is a system now. Which, so here, let's, have, let's go back to why things went wrong. They went wrong because I invited the bad guy in. A human had a bug in their code. But notice this system doesn't care about that. In fact, this system doesn't care if you've patched the code at all. So in essence, you, you've got some logic down in the, 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 the micro VM that basically says this is the way things are supposed to work. And... Um, you know, if they happen to come in that way, but and they're going to non-privileged stuff, then you let them work. If they're going to privileged stuff, then there's sort of a different set of logic, but it's basically based on only 
the, the specific thing that is supposed to happen. And, right, and it's not in the micro VM, it's in the microvisor. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, so the key, the key thing here is that we need to be able to deal with, first of all, it sounds like an, a nightmare to configure this system. It isn't. You just got to tell me some very simple things about stuff that you trust. Okay. And, and by the way, it, at the de minimis statement is that if you trust nothing, that's okay too. Okay? That is, the fact that something is untrustworthy ought not to interfere with the user experience. Okay. Um, now, there are some points in time where, as you peel back this notion of trust, you ultimately end up changing the user experience slightly. And th so thus far, no new management tools or anything else, right? Right. And from a user experience perspective, I just want to pose the problems to you. That is, and they end up being organizational problems rather than individual problems. You are writing a report, which you started yourself. You download some document from the internet, and now you cut, you copy a whole bunch of stuff from that unsafe document, and you're about to paste it. Yep. Is, that a good, is that a good idea? For, for the average user, they probably think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, but I'm interested in security and empowerment, and, and, and I know more. So the answer there is it depends. Right. Right, because it depends on whether it's just text or whether it's a whole Word doc or whatever, right? Okay. Right. And so you have to be able to deal with these boundary crossings between low and high and high and low. And um, there are some real opportunities to empower users there that is give them better use cases than they get today. And there, uh, there is the odd occasion where you have to do something which they might not think through. Like, yeah, I can let you do that if it's RTF only, okay? Or if I'm going to... Worst case, I'll force you down to an image or ASCII. That's so it's a, a lowest common denominator of trust. Uh, correct. And by the way, so there's another one. You're in an untrusted website, some untrusted web page, you want to print it. Is that okay? It depends. Right. It depends. <laughs> I know how to play this game. Yeah. <laughs> an attacker can easily uh, write an attack which attacks your printer and persists on the printer. And so I have to be able to deal with that. Okay, so there are a bazillion of these things which are very interesting, but there's some very empowering ones too. Let me give you one. By the way, all of this stuff comes from the solution of the Byzantine fault tolerance problem or the Byzantine generals problem, which I blogged about today. Um, here's one. You know, you, it's seven o'clock at night. Um, you have to get the report in. The, um, the email server is down. What are you going to do? Well. You know, the right thing to do here is to let you use Gmail, but we can't trust Gmail. Okay, but I can let the micro VM, which is called gmail.com, say, hey, please give me a file. I want to attach a file. And as long as I make sure that only the user at the keyboard selects the file and that then I do all the things I need to do for compliance and possibly log and blah, 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 and then maybe even encrypt the file before I inject it into the micro VM and send it away, then I've done both empowering I've empowered the user and I have not endangered the enterprise see yep yeah. I mean the applications for this thing once you start thinking about it, like once you think of a, of a world like where you have the ability right to you know to do this with with tasks right and and you think of tasks as, as you know something more granular than an application right you'd be you could be the state of a file um, there's lots of really interesting things that you can do, and, and it opens up a lot of doors. 
Yeah, and, and just just like Simon said earlier, you take that that Gmail and encrypting the file example, for instance. Most most of your typical users aren't going to think about that. And again, it goes back to what he said earlier about new creating new use cases out of the product. There, there's one that we call the the reverse bromium, <laughs> which is actually when when you need to take a file uh, that you need to actually protect a file from the rest of from from the rest of everything else. So that is when you actually take a file that's instead of instead of taking a file that's um, of unfathomable trust, you take a file that you know needs to be that is incredibly vulnerable, and you specifically put that file in a micro VM. Or or so another example of that would be. You know, you're you're reaching out to your hosted uh, terminal services app or your uh, HIPAA-controlled web app, and you absolutely have to guarantee that there are no middlemen and that the client micro-VM is securely talking to only the backend. So there, the micro-VM acts as an absolute guarantee that any communication between the client and the remote server is going down only one thing, which is the SSL pipe between us, between us, and that nobody is in the middle, and that um, nothing can be stolen from the microvm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask one one last question because we're we're sort of getting uh, fairly fairly long in the show, and I, I actually could probably go for a while on uh, sort of business side and distribution side questions and so on and so forth. But let me let me sort of ask this last one because I I think um, it, it kind of ties back Simon to your your background and so forth. So you've obviously been a, a huge sort of leading open source proponent. Um, you know, one of the big things that comes up around anything that, that smells of security a lot of times is that it, it should go through some sort of vetting process, proper vetting process, or an open source, you know, code review process. Is this technology that at some point you you guys plan to open source, or is it is it very intellectually pro, intellectual property heavy in that um, you know you're you're going through other channels to kind of validate that it's it is as secure as you say it is, and so so on and so forth. So I firmly believe um, open source delivers better code. Okay, that is mm-hmm. there are some components of it of any system that you would want to open source because you get better code out of it. Okay. Okay, and specifically, if you go back to Zen Client, you know, you didn't have to believe us that the thing was secure. The guys who wrote the security modules was the NSA. Right. Okay, and that's better than having to believe me. That is, you, you really want that, right? That that separation, okay. Mm-hmm. And also, open source, it, you get better code, people write better code because it's going public. A whole bunch of good, virtuous things happen. That said, in order to deliver the value of technology to the market, I uh, I think we firmly believe that you know a, a product that is a combination of the of the relevant open source componentry and uh, and proprietary stuff is the way to go, and that's quite literally the case for Bromium. Okay, All right, that makes sense. Well, um, listen, guys, this has been this has been very interesting. I think uh, you know, like like we talked about sort of before the show and off the show. Um, it's going to take a little while to, to sort of wrap your head around what it means to, uh, to kind of peel back that onion. You know, I think we hit on some things that you guys probably hear about all the time. People, you start talking about virtualization and you've got to sort of unthink and unlearn all the VM stuff. Um, you start talking about tools and which tools you can use and can't use. And But I think conceptually, I think conceptually what you guys talked about, and, and you know, I think about this as a user, um, you know, if... 
if you can deliver something that says, look, um, I don't have to think about, uh, you know, what's on my machine. I don't have to think about where I'm going. I don't have to be burdened all the time with, are you sure you want to go there? Are you really sure you want to go there? Are you really, really sure you want to go there? And then even when I say that I want to go there, it maybe doesn't let me get to that website. Yeah, I mean, I, if you guys I, are eliminating all that, that's like that's a fantastic piece sure, of technology or discussion. We're eliminating that. We're eliminating that. But I think there's something even more important, which is that you know, untrustworthy stuff could persist. We can protect you nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I think it's all about empowerment. You've got yeah. to empower the user. And when the empowered user cannot endanger the enterprise, that is, you turn IT into the department that can say yes. And that's yeah. critical here. Because IT is not IT is not the bad guys. They're trying to help. It's just right. that they get stuck because, you know, they are chartered first and foremost with compliance and security. Yeah, and I think it, you know, I think I think your your use case where you were talking about the company that had a you know million and a half dollars and doing nothing but patching and remediation that's that's a lot of projects that could be driving you know top line revenue as opposed to you know bottom line costs and and so on. And yeah, so forth. So, I, I have another one for you. You know, and a nine one one dispatch department which is about to spend seven hundred thousand dollars to implement VDI, buying servers and hypervisors and networks and storage and a whole bunch of stuff because what because they keep. You, because they're using old machines with old versions of browsers, and they keep on getting hacked. Yeah. That's not the right way forward. Okay, so you know, hopefully it's um, well. Thank you, first of all, for giving us this opportunity to put it out there and for driving the, the technology discussion. Because I think getting technologists to wrap their heads around it is key to articulating the the potential benefits of a system like this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll add this: it's it's really interesting uh, to me in the fact that you don't often have something like this where you, we come along and we have a conversation where you get to actually discuss something really honestly, fundamentally different in technology that that really you know this comes along. It's like wow, this is really just an entirely new way of potentially yeah. approaching a problem, and that's so that's wait, and amazingly interesting to me. And wait until you see the stuff. I mean, you know, I, 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 I constantly tell Simon like you know this. We have all these all these slide decks, and and you know I always I always get yelled at by Grob because I always I just start with the demo. You know, I mean like it's <laughs> like. I, this it's just so much easier. It's so much easier, and it just it's mind blowing. You 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 show a demo of this stuff, and the room is silent for about you know ten minutes. You know, it's just like people just it's it's you know it's almost like it changes the way people think about. All of a sudden, all these doors open up. You know, and, and so I'll ask this: uh, Is that something? That, will that demo be going public here in the near future? No, Ooh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe we'll record a video of it or something. But Yes, and I was going to say, like something like that to help help everyone wrap their head around it, right? And if, if that is... Uh, it looks like... No, but the thing is, is, if I show you the user experience, it looks like Windows. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. No, it's yeah. It's it's one of those. How do you demonstrate something that is doing all these things under yeah, the covers? To demonstrate it, we literally have to break it, right? <laughs> it's like so. It's really funny, you know. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll we'll be together at, a, at a, the same trade show sometime soon, so I could actually just walk you guys through it. But that's the funny part is you know to to show the demo, right? The initial the, the demo itself is Windows, and then what you do is you peel the curtain back, yeah. and. It's 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 fundamental, you know. It's really, really, it's really, really interesting, and it's beautiful, and it's kind of simplicity, right? And and uh, and that's what I mean. That's what it should be, right? 
Yeah. So it just gets out of the way and lets you do work yeah. and. Well, very cool. Well, guys, uh, again, thank you for the time. Um, like we told folks at the beginning of the show, we, we're recording this about a week prior to when uh, this is supposed to kind of go public. So um, hopefully we didn't uh, create too much friction between the knowledge and, and, and the dates on this stuff. But um, Oh, no, no, it's great. And it's great to talk to you. And you know, maybe by the time this airs, somebody will have found the major flaw in all the arguments. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we may have to retract everything we've said and start over. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, well, you guys are going to be um, kind of making a, a public uh, showing of this, or at least a public first kind of public discussion of this at uh, at uh, GigaOM Structure. So best of luck with that. Um, and Thank Aaron, you. Aaron, you want to take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Simon and Tal, where can everyone go to fi- find out more information about this yeah. and, and more about what's going on in this space? You know, right now, there's just a teaser website up at bromium.com. If you want to understand the journey, which was how we got to where we are, I've blogged most of it by now. But when we launch next week, there will be a website up, a new website up with a bunch of content at bromium.com. And um, you know you can download um, white papers and stuff. And then we're also very interested in, in getting people to beta test it. So feel free to sign up. Fantastic. All right, guys, so we are out of time for this week. So you can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can check out our newly designed and updated website. You can find links to the show, show notes, our YouTube channel, um, with links also on how to get us on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, Thanks for listening. (laughs) 